This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. And in three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 340 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, the godfather, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? I'm good. 340. Man, that's a lot. Isn't that crazy? It's really it's really crazy. Now, we didn't really... What was, what was the date of the first one? Do you remember? I know it was in 2007. I can't remember. It was uh, June, maybe May or June of 2007. And, uh, you know, early on, you and I would do them occasionally. And, and you did a bunch with our early uh, uh, minor league guys. Yep. And, uh, you know, and Chris Welsh would join us. from. He'd been joining us from the beginning. But, you know, Tucker Barnhart came on. I remember, didn't you didn't you sit in the dugout with Jay Bruce when he was in Dayton? Yeah, I, the uh, that was the first interview I ever did. Was I I, I went down? They, you know, it was the, the Dragons have always been very kind to us, <clears throat> and they gave me they gave it, they always offer us field passes and locker room passes, and I went down on the field and felt like I'm just an idiot. And I did catch Jay Bruce and talk to him for about five minutes, maybe in the in the dugout, and that was very cool. And he was very nice. Yeah, that was before he was Jay Bruce, clinchmas. But yeah, so you know, the last few years we've been doing them uh, weekly, and yeah, three hundred forty—that's really hard to believe. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, thirteen years. I mean, that's thirteen years, man. <laughs> Have I really not found anything better to do in thirteen years? I, I would. I would. I never would have thought I'd still be talking to you. What's that? You need to get a hobby, bud. Uh, um, I think that's what this is. All right. Um, news of the week. We need to start, I guess, really with some sad news around Red Leg Nation, which is that Tom Seaver, the Hall of Fame right-hander, really one of the best pitchers in baseball history, passed away in his sleep at age 75 this week. And uh, you and I, we did the uh, the Big Red Machine, Building the Machine series, and we talked uh, at, at length about how Tom Seaver, one of the most underrated players or or you know, lesser known members of the Big Red Machine. Just we felt like he didn't really get his due for how great he was as a Red, but uh, but he really was great, wasn't he? He was incredible. I, he'll never really be a Red to me. And we talked about this, like you said, in the series because I was gone for most of the time that, that Tom was here. You were gone where? Tell I, tell those that don't know. Yeah, I was in the I was in the Navy, and uh, but if you look at his numbers, they're pretty incredible considering the fact that this was his age, what, 32 to 37 seasons. Yeah. And his ERA for, for the Reds was 3.18. Uh, you know, he won 75 games for the Reds. Uh, just ERA plus of 116, whip of 1.17. Just a, an incredible thing. And I don't, and I think I said this on the, on the Building the Machine series, but my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, signed Tom Seaver to his first contract. Wait a minute, I don't, think, the, I don't think you said. I didn't know I knew that. Yeah, he he was the head scout for the Miracle Mets, and he had been the, in the Mets scouting system 
His name was Nelson Burbrick. He, he, he caught in the, ma- in the major leagues. I think he caught during the uh, – I think in one season with the Cardinals. I think it was in the Warriors. But he went into scouting, and he signed Seaver to his first contract. Wow. Not bad. Well, obviously, the Mets consider him the best pitcher in Mets history. And um, and he's on that list for the Reds. He's in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, Chris Garber and I wrote this book. Uh, did you know that, Bill? What's the name of that book again? I always forget. The Big 50. Oh, that's the men and moments. Anyway, we included a chapter about Tom Seaver just because we felt like <laughs> this is a guy that we were talking, we were talking about the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know that you consider Tom Seaver one of the men that made the Cincinnati Reds, but this guy was one of the inner circle Hall of Fame greatest pitchers of all time who was great for the Cincinnati Reds. And spent six years in Cincinnati. I mean, most people think, oh, he was here three years or maybe four years. He was here six years. He was here half the time he was with the Mets. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and one of the stories that we, we did a bunch of research for each one of these chapters. So you really should go buy this book, by the way. It's still it's still fresh. Believe me, the Reds have done nothing since this book came out to force us to put in a new chapter. But you there is my copy of the Big 50. Ooh, nice. You, seriously, you got one? Yeah. It's not autographed or anything, though. <laughs> yeah. You I would. really want to get that Chris Garber autograph. That, that would really make this thing worth something. I was about to say, you'd never lower yourself to ask me to sign your book. <laughs> but uh, there were a couple of great stories that we uncovered about Tom Seaver. The The chapter about the book is about his only no-hitter was with the, uh, came with the Reds, you know, after that, such a great career with the Mets. And, uh, you know, we, we found a story where he and his buddy Jerry Kuzman, who's the uh, lefty for the, for the Mets, they were good friends, and, and he'd thrown a no-hitter. And every every week or two, he'd just walk into the clubhouse and drop down beside Seaver and say, "Hey, Tommy, when are you going to pitch a no hitter?" And then Tom Seaver would, you know, basically say, "Anytime I feel like it," because he had like ten one hitters. Well, he finally got a, a no hitter for the Reds, obviously. And uh, there were two fun stories, and, and one of them didn't make the book, and the other one did. I'll tell you the one that didn't make the book. After the game, he did a live television interview. And something ha- and happened. They did the whole interview, and uh, I don't know what a, a transformer blew. I don't know what it was, but it was never broadcast. And of course, it was uh, it was George Clooney's dad who was interviewing him at, right after the game. Nick, right, right after the game. And so that uh, interview's lost to history. But my favorite story was that the next day, Tom Seaver comes back to the to the ballpark and came into the the clubhouse and spent most of the day just sort of reading telegrams from all over the place, from all the well-wishers and the phone calls. And and uh, his old pitching coach with the Mets, Rube Walker, called him up and said, tell those coaches they're not to get too big for their britches. Remember, we got you started 12 years ago. And, and somebody told Sparky Anderson about that, and he said, 13 years you guys had him and nothing. My guy, Larry Shepard, the rest pitching, pitching coach, has him one year, and he brings us to a no-hitter. So, but anyway, my favorite story was that the next night after, you know, the no hitter, he goes to a concert at Riverfront Coliseum. Frank Sinatra is performing at Riverfront Coliseum and Sinatra, the legend, he spots Tom Seaver sitting in the audience and, you know, has him stand up, congratulates him on the no hitter and, uh, and, uh, you know. Seaver stands up, and then the whole crowd just stands up and gives him a, a standing ovation. And uh, at the at the, can you imagine getting a, a an ovation of your own, a standing ovation of your own at a Frank Sinatra concert? I mean, that's that's a. Uh, well, Sinatra was a, a New York guy. He was. 
from Jersey, but I mean, right across the river. So any, any final thoughts about Tom Seaver, Bill? Um, probably the best Reds pitcher of the big red machine era. But as we talked about in building the machine, most people, including me, don't really consider him part of the big red machine. He kind of came after it, after not when it wasn't over, but the success was gone. And and I'm looking at him here on baseball reference. And I I had forgotten that he went from the reds back to the Mets. Yep. And then went on to the white Sox. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still pretty good into his forties, actually an effective pitcher. Um, if you didn't listen to building the machine, when it came out, it's still available for free, all 12 episodes. Just look back in our archives, uh, because we did spend a little bit of time kind of talking about, that was one of our topics. We spent a little bit of time unpacking, which is, is was Tom Seaver part of the Big Red Machine? And, and when did the Big Red Machine end? And so he was with the Big Red Machine. He just happened to show up after they finished winning championships, but or at least world championships. So anyway, rest in peace, Tom Seaver. Uh, always, to me, will be considered an all-time great Cincinnati Red. Now let's talk about the current Cincinnati Reds. Not all-time greats, Bill. The Reds. Well, they're on a winning streak. <laughs> they are on a winning streak after a four-game losing streak. Yeah, they won one game in a row. Now, I will say this. I made the declaration on uh, on the Twitters. Someone uh, actually coaxed me into it. You know, uh, at one time, Marty Brenneman said, if the Reds win 10 in a row, I guess that was 2010. If the Reds win 10 in a row, I'll shave my head. And he did. And uh, and I actually happened to be in the stadium when they did the ceremony to shave his head for whatever reason. I would happen to be there. But uh, so I said, if the Reds win 10 in a row, I will, in fact, shave my head, Bill. I think you're probably pretty safe. <laughs> you know what? I'll do it gladly. I will do it gladly if they could win 10 in a row. So let's talk about uh, some of the transactions of the week before we get into where the Reds stand. Well, I'll tell you where they stand. They're 16 and 21 uh, with an off night here as we record this on Thursday night. So some of you will listen to this before they play another game. They play again on Friday. But this the trade deadline was this week. And the Reds made a couple of deals. Which, first of all, before we talk about those trades, Bill, I want to ask your opinion about this. Were you surprised, given the Reds were playing pretty lousy they were, you know, below 500. Were you surprised that they went out and tried to improve the team at the trade deadline, or did you think they would maybe stand pat and see what happened, or, or even sell? Uh, were, you, were you surprised that they were actually aggressive in trying to improve the team? I knew they wouldn't sell. Um, they're too invested. I mean, it, it was the whole, you know, we spent all this money in the off season. We're all in, blah blah blah. You can't a month later reverse course. I mean, it, it just wouldn't wouldn't work. Um. I'm kind of surprised they went out and got players that are, you know, having as good as, you know, well, Goodwin's having a pretty good season. Um, the, the the reliever, and, and all of a sudden his name ran Archie right Bradley. Out. Archie Bradley and yeah. Brian Goodwin are the two, yeah. Yeah, Bradley's kind of struggled, but uh, he's got a track record. Right. Um, yeah, they got, they got a couple pretty good players is what you're saying, which is kind of, you and, know. And didn't, and didn't give up anything. Right. Depending on your opinion of these players. Uh, let me go, let me go ahead and just uh, sort of delineate what we're talking about. There were two yeah, trades. Yeah. Yep. The, uh, from the uh, Diamondbacks, the Reds got outfielder Brian Goodwin. Uh, they had to give up infielder Josh Van Meter and outfielder Stuart Fairchild. Fairchild drafted that Wake Forest was a decent. Uh, he was like a 
100th round pick, but has had a pretty good career so far and has a chance of being a a big leaguer. Um, not a star, but has a chance. He's maybe kind of like Josh Van Meter, you know, uh, who I have been high on Josh Van Meter, but he's Josh Van Meter. He's a backup infielder slash outfielder. So they get, uh, actually, that was uh, for Archie Bradley. I, I, I said Brian Goodwin. They got right-handed pitcher reliever Archie Bradley for Van Meter and Stuart Fairchild. So, and we'll talk more specifically about these guys. For, for Brian Goodwin, the outfielder, he's with the Angels. The Reds traded Packy Naughton and a player to be named later or cash. Now, first of all... Packy Naughton sounds like you ought to be playing for one of your soccer teams over in Europe. No way. Packy Naughton was one of the uh, characters that was featured on the HBO series Boardwalk Empire. He was a gangster. Did you know that? No, I, I watched the series, but I don't remember the character. You don't remember Packy Naughton? I'm sure it was. I don't know for sure. I, I watched the series too, but I don't remember. But I'm sure it's got to be. <laughs> sounds like a gangster to me. From the 1920s, this guy was running... Uh, yeah. Some pinky blinders, maybe. Maybe I, I I see him as one of these guys running uh, running hooch during prohibition. Could be. Do, do, do you know anybody that ran hooch during prohibition, Bill? No, I I was born right after that. Oh, okay, all right. So, you know, you, you mentioned Van Meter though, and 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 I was pretty high on him too. But let, let's be honest, he didn't exactly grasp the uh, opportunities when they were handed to him. Well, when we say we were pretty high on, I don't think we thought he was going to be a superstar, but we thought no, he could be I, a useful player, right? Yes. I didn't think he'd go two for 34. <laughs> That's something that uh, you have specifically said on this podcast over the years, which is that uh, you need to be patient with young guys, obviously, but at some point they have to grab the brass ring, right? they got to take advantage of their opportunities. Yep. I mean, you, if you get an opportunity and you don't do anything with it, you really can't blame the guy making the decisions. Right, yeah. Give him a reason to, to not send you down, basically. Right. So. So Archie Bradley, reliever, Brian Goodwin, outfielder, both with fantastic beards. Oh, my. Have you seen their beards, Bill? Yeah, they're, they're bearded. They are glorious beards. And let's, uh, let's talk about them because I think the way you describe them is, uh, is pretty accurate. First with Goodwin. Goodwin is essentially a uh, – he can hit. He's not a superstar hitter, but he's been a pretty good hitter his whole career. Um, career uh, high OPS plus of 114 this season. He's playing well right now. And last year, you know, OPS plus of 108. He plays all three positions in the outfield. He's kind of a, you know, a power guy somewhat. You know, he's not a he's not a singles guy necessarily. And I don't know, you know, I, he's, a, he's a useful player who is under team control for two seasons after this one. So he's a useful part. But... Would you ever have thought coming into this season, Bill, this is my question for you, with all the outfielders the Reds had, that at the trade deadline the Reds would go get an outfielder? No, I would not. And, and, and this young man for being, what is he, 29, one, two, three, where's fourth team? It's the fourth big league team. I'm surprised that uh, Beard hasn't uh, endeared him to more teams. Uh... He's moved around a bit. Yeah. I, you know, but the, the Reds, again, we're talking about guys that, you know, Senzel, once again, has not been able to stay healthy for one reason or another. Uh, Akiyama has not hit. Uh, you, can, you can argue at this point whether Castellanos has really hit. You know, there's nobody on this team that's, that you can say, wow, he's really hitting, other than Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker, he's good. He's yeah. Yeah, you know, Goodwin probably bounced around. Uh, I don't know enough about him to know whether there are any other issues, but it makes sense that a guy like him, who's a sort of a useful outfielder, but not a sure fire starter, 
you know, um, that type of guy can bounce around, but, but he's useful. But yeah, like, like you say, you know, uh, Sinzel, who knows what's going on? He says he's working, they say he's working out at Prasco Park now and could be back soon, but who knows what's happening with him? He actually posted on Instagram if you, uh, do social media and said that uh, it was actually right after the trade for Brian Goodwin. He must have been getting some, some questions about what's the deal? They trying to replace you? He's like, I got great news today. I'm going to be back soon, but. Um, I don't know. Goodwin to me is better than the other parts they'd been trying to use to fill the outfield spots, like Phil Irvin, who we'll talk about again in a moment. You know, I I trust Goodwin more. Um, Bradley was the, the big acquisition, though, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and you were right; he hasn't had a great season this year. But man, look at his track record. Uh, you know, he has been fantastic as a reliever for uh, for a number of years here now, basically the last four years, and. Uh, this is a guy that can step into this awful Reds bullpen, and he may be the best reliever in the bullpen immediately. So to go out and get a guy like that for Josh Van Meter and, and Stuart Fairchild, to me that seems, I mean, this, this is not a Luis Castillo for Dan Straley steal. It's not an Eugenio Suarez for the um, corpse of, uh, the bloated corpse, excuse me, of Alfredo Simon. But that seems to me like a pretty good deal to me. A couple of guys that, you know, are they ever going to affect this Major League team for a guy that, is uh, not only going to be probably the best reliever on this team, you you would think, or at least among the better relievers, but he's also under team control through next year as well. That seems like a steal to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and it can't do anything but make this this bullpen, this bloated, rotten bullpen better. Well, this bullpen just has not been good, has it, Bill? It's not no. getting any better. No, it, it's, it, well, it, it's got to get better. You know, we, we, talk, we talked a couple weeks ago whether we overestimated this team. And and I and I think we both said that we didn't believe they had, but I don't think either one of us expected so many guys to underperform. Yeah, and th- and that's different than overestimating. Well, I think for the offense, and I have something I want to talk about in just a little bit uh, when we start talking okay. about the playoffs about that offense. That I think that maybe maybe we didn't overestimate them, and they just haven't performed. But there are reasons for that. With the bullpen, you know, I think that's one area where I will absolutely say I overestimated or or overrated what this bullpen was capable of. It's, it's funny. The Reds finally won a game against the Cardinals, the last game of the series. And Rosella Iglesias looked really good against the last two hitters to get out of a bases loaded jam. And so I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh man, look at that. We're, you know, you all were down on Rosella Iglesias and look, that was awesome. And I didn't tweet it because I, I got to get away from Twitter a lot of times. But, but I thought to myself, wait a minute, he's the one that loaded the bases. Yeah, I was just going to say that. He's also the one that got him into that predicament. Exactly. So, I don't know. I've always been... I'm always nervous when he pitches. It's funny because I've always been the high man on Rosella Iglesias. I've always thought he was the most underrated pitcher in the in the world. In these last two years, I'm like you. When he comes in, you still see that he's got the stuff, but he's scary, isn't he? I'm like a cat on a hot stove when he's... I can't sit still when he's pitching. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the deal is with him, but it may just be that relievers are kind of fungible and he's had his run. So the Reds uh, tried to improve the roster at the trade deadline, and I think, frankly, the roster today with those guys is better than it was last week, and so that's something to be happy about, right? Yes, absolutely. But is it good enough? I don't know. Let's talk about the other moves this week, and then we can talk about where the Reds stand and where they have to go. There were several other transactions this week. Cody Reed... Obviously, he was, uh, we talked about in the last podcast, Chris Garber and I, that he had been designated for assignment. And uh, Tampa Bay uh, 
ended up claiming him. The Reds worked out a trade for Riley O'Brien. Riley O'Brien, Tampa Bay's eighth-round draft draft pick out of the College of Idaho in 2017. Not a bad uh, record in the minors, but, uh, you know, he is what he is. He's uh, been assigned to the ketchup factory out there at Prasco Park. But Cody Reed, to me, Bill, is the another perfect example of you got to take advantage of your opportunities, right? Yep, yep. You know, uh, Robert Stevenson kind of grasped grabbed his last year when he got the opportunity, and Cody Reed, you know, was hurt most of last year, and he got opportunities this season and just couldn't get it done. I still believe that guy has a live arm and that he is a pitcher that can help a major league team. Well, and he may go down to Tampa Bay with their six eighty four winning percentage, and you know, throw twenty three consecutive scoreless innings or something. Yeah, it terrifies me to. Uh, to trade with the Rays because they know what the, they have a clue. Around. Cody Reed's gonna be an All Star next year. You know this, right? <laughs> yep. I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I've got nothing bad to say about Cody Reed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that guy, but uh, and I was rooting for him hard. And he wrote a, he wrote a very nice. I don't know whether it was on Twitter or where I saw it, but he wrote a very nice thank you to the Cincinnati Reds organization. Yeah, he seems like a class guy, and he's a guy that yep. I, there's no reason not to root for his success. Yep. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best. You know, I have this uh, this new job that I haven't really talked about on this podcast, um, but uh, everybody knows me as the baseball guy at this place. And uh, and so it turns out one of the guys that I work with, who's also a new employee, he is uh, a big Tampa Bay fan. And he had felt like he had to come up and, and tell me about that. And uh, and he's like, for real. I mean, if I'd never met a Tampa Bay Rays fan, but uh, this guy's like a hardcore Tampa Bay Rays fan in Virginia. I mean, he, he really follows them closely he was just gloating about their uh what happened with uh the yankees and but anyway um so you were picking a team out of the air though why wouldn't you pick the tampa bay race well they don't spend any money but man they're the best run organization yep but they're successful almost every year yeah oh yeah they they've spent far less money than even the reds and that's saying something <laughs> and so still they, and, and, and compare their records with the cincinnati's no yeah. i don't want to do that it's too depressing yeah I, I like the current front office guys with the Reds, but let's not. It's kind of like uh, what Sparky say about uh, Thurman Munson. Yeah, let's not embarrass him by comparing him to Johnny Bench. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, I like the Reds front office, but let's not embarrass him by comparing him to Tampa Bay's management. So Riley O'Brien, uh, a pitcher, and you know, mid nineties fastball gets up to ninety seven, above average slider. I don't know. He's supposedly decent, but. I just like that it's the most Irish name in, in Major League Baseball, Riley O'Brien. Maybe he was on the Boardwalk Empire, too. Oh, you think so? You think he was uh, <laughs> You think he was smuggling the hooch? Maybe. They, you know, they were running a, a, an under, a, a, you know, a criminal enterprise together. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it, but unfortunately they've been split up now because Packy Naughton's been sent packing. All right, so um, Philip Irvin, we... Uh, Briefly mentioned him earlier in the podcast, Philip Urban, who all of us uh, like as well. Seems like a, a good guy too, and uh, former Reds first round draft pick. He was designated for assignment earlier this week when the Reds called up Jose De Leon's mustache, and uh, he did not make it through waivers as the Seattle Mariners have claimed Philip Urban, and the Reds didn't pull him back and try to work out a trade like they did with Cody Reed. Uh, the Mar- they just they let Urban walk. Are you surprised that? Basically, gave Philip Irvin away. No, 
I mean, I guess I am because he's a first rounder and you hate to give up on those guys you gave that much money to, but you know, there's some cost at this point. He's 27. He is what he is. Um, and, and I, I, and I'll be admit, I'll be, I'll admit I'm surprised at how bad he was this year. Um, another guy that I, you know, even though I don't think any of us thought he was going to be a superstar, way underperformed. 086, 238, 086. Three for 335. Three for 35. Yeah, 324 OPS, minus nine OPS plus. Yeah, you know, and I'm uh, urban. I've never, I thought, I felt like last year was a little bit of a fluke, but he has had a little bit of a track record of being able to hit against uh, left handed pitching. Uh, David Bell, of course, didn't let him hit strictly against left-handed pitching because David Bell is. I'm gonna uh, discretion is the better part of valor. I'm not gonna say what I think about David Bell. I've not changed my mind about a single individual around the Rays organization quicker than I have about David Bell in the last six weeks. But yeah, you know, I just don't know that. I think Brian Goodwin is better than Philip Irvin. I think he helps this team more than Philip Irvin. Absolutely. Oh, I just looked at Irvin's splits. He was one for fourteen against right-handers and two for twenty-one against left-handers. Yeah, yeah. In case, you, in case you needed to know that. I did need to know that. Uh, Irvin's uh, stat cast numbers, and we're talking tiny tiny uh, sample size, were not great either. His expected batting average, based on basically how hard he hit the ball and his launching and all that, was just 122. I mean, he just wasn't playing well this year. Again, it's just, you know, 40 plate appearances or whatever. But, yeah, good luck to him. I hope he does well. And, and, and Seattle, <laughs> we talk about Tampa's management. Seattle's management does not have the reputation that Tampa's does. And as evidence for that, I will say that now Seattle seems to be claiming every former red uh, farmhand they can get their hands on. They got Philip Urban. Last year they got Shed Long. And here recently they got Taylor Trammell. They're trying to, it's like a reunion up there in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Well, why wouldn't you want to pick up every Reds minor league player? Because, you know, our organization's been so successful. Yeah, who else would you want to emulate? I, I can't understand why they wouldn't. Exactly. <laughs> Only other bit of news from the week was uh, this. David Bell, just previously mentioned, and Jesse Winker, also previously mentioned, were suspended for one game for their involvement in a bench-clearing, not a brawl, more of a like a, you know, they kind of screamed at each other. Um, Joey Votto was fined for his involvement in that, but a suspension for coming out and yelling at each other. So, all right, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, you think we could get David Bell suspended for a longer period of time? <laughs> Have you uh, has David Bell uh, lost his uh, his luster for you as well? I just he does things that I can't figure out what he's thinking. Yeah, I don't know that he's bad, but I do know that he's not good. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I I just and and and, I, and I'm kind of in the same boat you are. I was. Excited last year because I thought, you know, here's a, a guy that's going to be analytical. He's going to, you know, he's just, to me, he's like hyperactive. Well, one of the things that, that, that I said in my uh, Cincinnati Magazine piece this week was that, uh, you know, in trying to kind of analyze why the Reds have underperformed this year, and, and I said, you know, the fact of the matter is that it's a better roster, I think. Just, it absolutely is a better roster, but the players haven't performed. And so they got to take some of the blame. But at some point, we have to ask questions about David Bell. Because if you think about it, in his two years at the helm, he's come into the season with teams that had uh, you know varying levels 
of expectation. Last year, almost every outside observer expected the Reds to be you know, around a 500 team. This year, they're, they were expected to be really one of the better teams in the National League Central. And yet never once have they even been competitive in those two years. And that doesn't mean they can't be for the rest of this year. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you know, at some point, they had, they've to me, they've clearly way underperformed expectations, whatever expectations are, but they've underperformed expectations in both his years. At some point, you got to wonder, is he the problem more than the solution? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's easy and is is to blame the manager. And I'm not saying whether he deserves it or doesn't deserve it because I honestly don't know. He may have talents that we're unaware of, um, but you know, this is the second year in a row that this team's underperformed offensively. Second, two different hitting coaches. I mean, are you also going to question the front office because they're the ones deciding what players they're bringing in? Well, I mean, I question them less because they're, they're acquiring players with track records. But, uh, you but know. Why do they all of a sudden do they quit being effective here? <laughs> that's a good question. And that's why I say at some point you've got to not point the finger at David Bell because I'm like you. I uh, I don't know enough to know that it's his fault and that it's very easy to just blame him. But he's not the one out there hitting. He's not the one out there pitching. But. The fact is, since he became the Reds' manager, they have been underwhelming the entire time. Yep. And so, that's absolutely true. I, I, and so he gets some share of the blame. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go with that. I, I do. You, do you think there is any chance he loses his job before before the end of the season? Not before the end of the season, but I think there is a very good chance if the Reds miss the playoffs that he's not the Reds' manager on opening day next year. You think so? I do. You don't? I doubt it. I I, I think that, and and, and I've I've been so I've been shocked in other sports in the NBA and the NHL how many coaches in these short in this weird 2020 season, how many teams have made decisions on on results off of this weird season, and I'm wondering if baseball will will do the same. I, I would have a hard time making personnel decisions that, that I had made going into the sea, into the season, basing it on 162 games, making deciding on firing somebody over 60. Yeah. It's a very fair point, Bill, that do we want to draw grand conclusions on the basis of essentially 25 games at this point, you know, right. or and, 30, 35 and, games. And the rules have changed the, you know, the, the, the way, you know, the, by the short season, the way you're having to handle things is different. I, I, I honestly don't know the answer. And I, and I, I don't know if I was in the Reds front office position, it would be a very difficult decision to make if the Reds don't make the playoffs. And I don't even want to talk about that, to be honest. I <laughs> know. Here's why I think David Bell does not survive if the Reds miss the playoffs. A couple of reasons, really. Number one, what I just said, which is that they have been underwhelming literally since the second game of his managerial career. They won on opening day last year, and then they lost eight in a row, and they were not competitive the rest of the year. They tried to pretend like they were going to get back into the race a little bit for a little while, but they were really never in the mix. And so it's not just 35 games or whatever, or 60 games we went to the end of the season if they don't make it, that, mm-hmm. you're, that you're basing your uh, – it's 200 games, essentially, 180 games, 184. So 182, if I know how to count. Wait a minute, actually, I was told there'd be no math. I was told. 
202. I was right when I, what I first said, 200 plus games. So anyway, um, so I think you got a, a little bit of a record there of David Bell, his teams underperforming. And no one's going to say it's all his fault, but somebody's got to take the blame. And why I think it would be David Bell is the second point I was going to make, which is that the Reds in the last two off seasons have done more to improve the team on the field than they have in most of the last 30 off seasons. And they've gotten zero results out of it. And so somebody's head is going to have to roll. Bob Castellini may say that uh, Dick Williams and Nick Crawl's head are the, heads are the ones that need to roll. I think it's much more likely to be David Bell's. Because the well, res- there's, there's, there's also the old adage that it's easier to fire one guy than 25. That's right. Yeah, even if it's the player's fault and not David Bell's. And I don't, again, you've said it already, and I want to say it again. I, I don't know that it's David Bell's fault. I do think he deserves some share of the blame. But ultimately, you know, he's the manager of a team, and he has to, just like the manager in any department, in any business, anywhere, you're kind of called to account for what your department does, right? Yep. I was a department head at a university for 18 years, and the buck stopped with me. You know, if, if, if there was a problem in my department, it was my fault. Yeah, no question about it. Now, I do want to make one quick point because this kind of has been grating on me. And uh, and my buddy Woo the Reds, you all have seen this guy on on the Twitters probably. He's also one of our patrons and friends at patreon.com slash redlegradio. But he he always makes the point that let's not pretend like the Reds really went nuts and and, and went all in trying to win this offseason. Like they spent all this money. They spent more than we were, were accustomed to seeing them spend. And they did make some splashes in free agency. But Cincinnati's payroll right now is still below league average. Uh, it's the 17th highest payroll in the game, and so, um, and and literally below the the league average. So, as we kind of you know start to praise the ownership of the front office, for, like, the front office has done what they can with the money they've got. But in terms of ownership, you know, who promised us so many great things, is having the 17th highest payroll in the game does that constitute an actual attempt to win a championship, Bill? That's a tough question, I know, and I laid that on you, but um and that's seventeenth highest with paying Joey Votto twenty five million dollars. Right. Yeah, Votto by himself would be, you know, the twenty third highest payroll in baseball. Not really, but yeah, the seventeenth highest payroll, including one guy that's making a ton of money, is that really I mean it, it's it's more than we've seen him spend, but is that really a, a, a an attempt to be the best team in the league? You know? When you think about it in that context, I, I'm not so sure. So, Bill, I'm going to ask you a, a question, and I want okay. I want a yes or no answer. As we discuss uh, this team right now, they are 16 and 21. They did win. Uh, <laughs> they were down three nothing, but came back and were able to to beat the Cardinals the last game of the series to make it back to five games under 500. 16 and 21. That is uh, 37 games. So that means there are 23 to go. Will the Cincinnati Reds make the playoffs? Yes, only because I refuse to consider otherwise. Because <laughs> you just don't even want to think about it, right? No, I don't. Um, oh, my. You know, no one really knows what it's going to take to get into the playoffs because this is all new to everybody with this expanded playoff system where eight teams in the National League are going to make it. Everyone has kind of assumed that 16 and 21, 
I mean, excuse me, that 500 would get it done. So at 16 and 21, the Reds have to go 14 and 9 the rest of the way to get to 500. And nobody really knows if it's 500 is the number, but can the Reds really go 14 and 9? They can, right? Well, they could. Isn't it the first and second teams in each division make the playoffs, right? Yeah, and then the best uh, records. Right. So the Reds are two and a half behind the Cardinals for second place. Right, to get back into to guarantee. But they can still make the playoffs if they're not one of the top two teams. Right, if they, yeah. Because it's the other, the last two, I guess, the last two winning percentages. Yeah, it'd be wild cards. Um, I'm pulling up the standings as we speak. This is scintillating audio content right here. Um, so right now, there we go. the Reds are, remember the top eight, essentially. And so in terms of records, the Reds are 16 and 21. The Rockies are the 18, 18 and 19. Again, this is something you talked about before. It's hard to figure out who's what. Yeah. But right now, the number eight team in the National League is a winning percentage of 486. They're below 500. So I'm down on the Reds based on how they're playing. And I'm not re- ready to say, yes, they're going to make the playoffs, but uh, this thing isn't over by a long shot. But they've got to play better baseball than they've been playing. <laughs> they I do. Mean, they just, I mean, if they don't play better baseball than they're playing, they're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I know I know it sounds stupid, but it's it, – <laughs> And, and and there are things that, that 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 this team is doing that makes no sense to me. I get well. I guess I can explain the the catching situation. And you and I have talked about this off, uh, you know, you know, twit, Twitter, tweet, tweeted about it or, or texted about it. How Stevenson is not up here playing every day is beyond me. Tyler Stevenson. There's zero justification for Tyler Stevenson not being the starting catcher, is there? Not to me. I mean, you know, if you look at Casale's numbers offensively, he's playing pretty well. Well, that's based on just a couple games this week, basically. Before that, he was garbage. And, and, and Tucker's been terrible. I mean, other Tucker's played good defense. Um, I'd have tried to unload Casale at the trade deadline. Maybe they did. I mean, we don't know. And, you know, for a bag of balls or whatever. Stevenson comes up, he's my starter, and I use Barnhart as my defense in, in, in late in the ball games, or, or you know, two days a week or whatever it is. And that's to me, that's the the big place that that I'm shocked that they that they didn't. It, it's a place where it looks like they have a, a a place that they could easily improve. Exactly. We talk about the the trade deadline moves, and uh, the Reds made a couple moves that really improved the roster. But that's one where it seems pretty easy to me that. They can improve what the production they're getting. Now, do we know that Tyler Stevenson's going to hit better than Tucker Barnhart and Kirk Casale? No, we do not know that. But I'm willing to bet that I'm willing to bet the ranch, as they say, that Tyler Stevenson is not going to hit worse than those guys. And when you're looking for offense, why? Do, I don't understand why you don't don't go ahead and just say, "Let's do this. Let's give it a shot." Because it, you know we know he can hit because he's hit uh, at every level he's been at essentially. Uh, he's hitting a thousand in the major leagues right now, but uh, two for two. But uh, you know, I that, that's seventy six OPS plus. That's what. Yeah, what I don't get is just why not try it? You're getting zero production from that position. You need offense. Uh, it's not a. That's not a. You know, I always say, obviously, you know, my my famous uh, phrase, "Hope is not a strategy," 
But I don't think it's a hope there. you got a guy that, with a track record in the minor leagues. And so you're not just kind of hoping, oh, I hope he does well. You're saying, well, let's give him a shot. He's I, 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 That's one that until they do it, I, I just don't get it. And it's not that I don't like Kirk Casale and Tucker Barnhart. I like those guys. They play hard, and, and Barnhart's been very good to the podcast. Uh, but we got to tell it like it is, right? Yeah, we, I mean, when you've only got four guys with an OPS plus over 100, and one of them has been out for two weeks, and off and on, you know, he's only played in 14 games all year. Uh, you got to find, you got to get offense where you, where you can find it, you know? And we, and we you know, and, and the fact that they brought this Garcia kid up and put him out there and, and they leave Stevenson out at the ketchup factory makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, Chris and I, Chris Garber and I talked last week about they don't seem to have really any sense of urgency right now anyone and the fact that they have not called up Tyler Stevenson is even more surprising in light of what you just said which is they did they did call up Jose Garcia and they're letting him play and uh, he's not been great but he's been fine give him some time you know I'm happy to have him in the lineup if you're willing to do that I don't understand why you're not willing to do that at catcher because frankly Offensively, catcher was a way bigger problem than shortstop was. Freddie Galvis hasn't been a world beater, but he's been fine. He's been okay. So, yeah, in the well, con- in the context of bringing up Garcia, it's amazing that they haven't bring up, brought up Stevenson. I'm sorry, and, and Stevenson has a much better offensive track record than Jose Garcia did. Stevenson has a better track record than most of these guys in the minor leagues, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it just. I'm baffled by the the decision to leave Stevenson out in Mason. Yeah, yeah, me too. It just the fact that you know after they called him up earlier this year, I could have seen it been see it being a, a situation like the Reds have constantly done in terms of service time games and all that nonsense to just leave him down there all year long, unless there was an emergency and every Reds catcher got hurt. But the fact they're willing to bring him up and they've had him on the taxi squad, you know, often. So that you know he's close to being on the roster, I just <laughs> let that guy start sixty percent of the games. What can it hurt? Is and maybe that's what the tagline needs to be here. What can it hurt? Do something. Well, they need something that's going to spark this team. I mean, they just they don't seem. I don't have a sense of urgency. I, I, I've heard you guys talking about that, and and I don't really know what that means. But they don't seem to play with any fire. They don't seem, to, other than when they want to get into a fight. Um, and, and I don't even know what what I mean by you know playing with any fire. I don't really know what that means. But it, it's kind of like pornography. You know, you know, you know it when you see it. Um, but this team's got. If they don't start, if they don't play better offensively, they're not going to make the playoffs. I, I think that's what everything comes down to. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, are they going to play better though? Is the offense going to hit? Are they going to start hitting? By the way, can I say, I just, I love that you, uh, tried to quote, uh, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart to describe his, uh, his threshold test for obscenity. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I, Jac- I, 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 I was saving that for you. Thank you. Jacobellus versus, uh, Ohio says the law guy. 
the law talker guy. I, you know, I've been really concerned about this Reds offense, but I saw something this week that made me think, wait a minute, maybe it's maybe it's not as bad as I think, and maybe this is just small sample size nonsense. And that's Sam Miller from uh, from ESPN, who I like. And he said that, he made this point, the Reds hitters are third in the National League in home runs, second in walks, and right in the middle of the league in strikeouts. Yet somehow they've scored the second fewest runs per game. That's because they've hit into horrifying luck with the second lowest batting average on balls in play in the past century. 20 points lower than any other team this year. 45 points lower than they hit last year. So um, that makes it sound like it's not nearly as bad as it's looked because they've been eh, kind of unlucky. But in a short season, you're gonna go, you're gonna go broke waiting for waiting for the luck to turn, right? Yeah, you, you just can't count on your luck turning. And 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 the, the the amazing thing to me is how many guys are playing below expectations. Almost all of them. Um, you know, Suarez has been horrible. Uh, we we didn't know what to expect at Akiyama, but it sure wasn't a forty four OPS plus. Yeah, he's been worse than we thought. Yeah, played he's played very good defense in the outfield. Um, but I, what I've seen, his arm doesn't impress me. But but he go he goes and gets the ball. There's any doubt about that. Um, Castellanos is just terrible defensively, but he's been an offensive plus. Winker's been everything advertised and, and hitting both left-handers and right-handers. Um, it's just amazing to me how, how bad this team's been offensively. And it's, you know, more than not. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Well, you're right. They've got to start soon. Right now they're tied with the New York Mets for 11th best record in the national league, which means only three teams are behind them. But, they're still in the mix. They can still do this. They can't wait much longer, and this is going to be a situation where they kind of sneak in. Probably, I don't. I don't know that I see them catching the Cardinals. Well, maybe the Cardinals are just at five hundred, but for uh, the second place in the division, it's possible. But uh, wild card is more likely. But man, they got to get going. So let's answer some questions. This team would start to hit with their starting pitching. They could run off a string. They could. And I hope they win nine in a row before they lose one. I hope they win ten in a row because I'd like to see your haircut. Nine in a row. The, the fact of the matter is by the time the next time they actually win ten in a row ever, my hair will probably have fallen out by that point. So <laughs> It'll be so thin you, you won't have to cut it. That's right. Uh, so <laughs> let's answer some questions from our friends at uh, patreon.com slash Radio. This week all the questions are coming from patreon.com slash Radio. I'll get back to your Twitter question uh, askers uh, sometime. But we're running short on time, so we're just going to do with the, the Patreon ones. Before we do that, we have a new patron this week. This week's patron is a uh, young man named... Well, it's a, I'm not sure what the name is here. It's on the on my screen. It shows Wolf Adam. Do you think it's really Adam Wolf? That's what I would think, but... But it's, it's Wolf knows? Adam. If it's Wolf Adam, he's a third baseman. Wolf Adam? No way. Wolf Adam has a big old crazy huge beard. He is a wacky relief pitcher. I was thinking more like a Justin Turner third baseman. Oh well, okay, I can see that as well. I think he's actually he was a he was an average relief pitcher on his high school team, and then uh, his uh, senior year of high school, he realized that um, 
his uh, his father when he was a teenager his his father came and had to have a talk with him and said listen man i know you've discovered that you're growing more hair than usual we turn into wolves sometimes it skips a generation so he was a teen wolf now he's an adult wolf and he's a he's just a nutty relief pitcher michael j fox played him and will play his young self in the movie yeah it's gonna be a great movie i'm gonna love it so uh, listen adam thank you so much for joining us at patreon appreciate everyone who joins us for the podcast yeah you know i uh, we get uh, new new patrons all the time, and we're not losing many, so <laughs> not losing any really. And so I just I, I'm humbled by the fact that you all will just toss a couple bucks this way to help keep the uh, the ship afloat. So first question comes from I know who this person is, but he's changed his name on Patreon, so I'm going to use the name that uh, he has now for his username. And his, this is his name: quote If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Keeping this name for the next one thousand nine hundred and ninety four episodes. It's not who some of you may think. The question is this. Do you, Chad, enjoy arguing with co-hosts about viewer mail versus listener mail, or would you rather it just be settled law that viewer mail is just what it is? This question is for me, Bill, so I'm going to take it. Okay. Um, I enjoy arguing about everything because I was trained as an attorney, and that's what we do. We argue. So I don't mind arguing, but it, it even though we argue about it, it is settled law. It's viewer mail. Period. End of story. Well, and, and the other thing that those of you that don't know Chad personally very well know that he has to argue here because he's not allowed to argue at home. It's true. Well, I can argue at home. I just never win. Sabrina put knots on your head. No question about it. All right. So next viewer mail question, or as we called it at Patreon this week, Posta di Spettatore. It's Italian, Bill. Wow. I had spaghetti for dinner. <sighs> So you're basically Italian. Jay Cottrell, our friend Jay, asks, Joey Votto's decline is a thing, but doesn't he get some X-factor points for being clutch when the game is on the line? Of course, Joey Votto got the uh, the walk-off hit against the Cardinals to win that last uh, last game of the series, and uh, and he's done that a couple times this year, uh, more than once. So does he get X-factor points? It's funny to hear that question, Bill, because... We've had to listen to yahoos over the years talk about how he's not clutch all the time. So let's give him some X-Factor points as my suggestion. What do you think? Uh, yeah, and you and I have talked about Joey recently, and, and I think we all have to finally come to the conclusion that you know, Joey may be closer to the, to the steep part of the downside than any of us wanted to admit going in. And they may have to, I mean, maybe it's time to start looking for a future first base. Yes, it is. And we have another question that's going to kind of address that uh, in just one moment. So we may talk a little bit more about that, but you're right. But, you know, it's it's fun to watch Joey Votto, who's still, he's still good or good enough to be a big leader, leaguer. He's not the Joey Votto we've, we're used to, right? Right. But it's fun to watch him. And he actually, since I, uh, criticized him a little last week he's kind of had a pretty good week at the bat um so you know i don't know we'll talk with him again in just one moment so and 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 i do want to address this because i I looked it up while while you were talking uh joey with runners in scoring position for his career his ops is (laughs) 1.044 yeah every time someone says and it gets said a lot every time someone says that he's not clutch (laughs) someone 
inevitably will respond by say, saying, here, look at these stats of him. And then here's Tony Perez's stats, who's considered to be the most clutch guy ever. And I'm not criticizing Tony Perez. Tony Perez was great. But Joey Votter's there's numbers no comparison. Are, there's not. I mean, Joey Votter has Joey, Joey Votter. That's what we call him down here in Virginia. <laughs> Joey Votter. Um, he is he, he is clutch up here in the holler, yeah. Um, all right, so good question, Jay, and yes, X-Factor points. Sydney Price, our friend Sydney, asks, in honor of Chadwick Boseman, what is your favorite movie with him in it? Also, rest in peace, Tom Seaver. So we talked about Tom Seaver already, rest in peace, obviously, and just brutal news about actor Chadwick Boseman passing away from uh, from cancer at the age of 43 this week. Just, uh, you know, you don't have to be a big fan of Chadwick Boseman, the actor, to be like, goodness gracious, that's just not fair, right? What a, what a, 43 years old. In the prime of his life. Just apparently had been in treatment for a while, was doing these movies while he was in treatment, was visiting sick children while he was in treatment. Uh, you wonder how, when, you know, how long he'd been in treatment, how long he had had this. It's just, it's just a very, very sad. My son, sad. yeah, my son says that online he'd been getting some abuse in recent uh, days, recent years, because he just, he'd lost so much weight and he looked, he looked bad. And so people were kind of abusing because he didn't tell anybody that he was fighting cancer. So it just it's horrifying. I hate it. Uh, screw cancer. But in, in honor of uh, Chadwick Boseman, what is your favorite movie with him in it? I'm going to go ahead and, and answer this question. And uh, I thought about Marshall, in which uh, he played uh, Thurgood Marshall, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, the first uh, African-American Supreme Court Justice. But to me, I'm going to have to say, and maybe it's just because uh, this is a baseball podcast, but 42. 42 is a flawed movie. Uh, Chadwick Boseman played Jackie Robinson, and Harrison Ford played uh, Branch, Rick. Branch Rickey. And it's not a great movie, but man, it's a fun movie. And Boseman r- really sells Jackie Robinson. You believe he's Jackie Robinson. And so it's a rewatchable movie to me. Again, it's not a five-star movie, but so I'm going to say 42 because just I, I really, really enjoy that movie, and uh, and he was good in it. What's your favorite movie with Chadwick Boseman? I would pick Get On Up when he played James Brown. Uh, so 2014 movie, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's one I've not caught up with and that I need to because after, uh, after you said that, so, and, and I will. Uh, obviously, you know, everyone expects uh, Black Panther. That's what really put him at the, at the height of his fame, the uh, the Marvel movie, which was a good movie. But uh, I don't know. Give me 42. It's baseball. So Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Um, you he was know. in draft day. What's that? He was in draft day. Evidently, hmm. I didn't. See, that's another one I didn't I see. Remember him in draft day. Who's the most famous Chadwick now? Is it me? It may be. Yeah. No. No. Chadwick <laughs> Boseman is uh, going to eclipse me, even in uh, even in memory. So, goodness gracious, Andrew Scott Wills asks. Okay. Who is your number one Reds 2021 re-signing candidate, and why is his name Trevor Bauer? That's a good question. Who's your number one Reds 2021 re-signing candidate? See, I, I was gonna. I, I what did I tell you? I, I I sent you a text the other day that I would have traded Trevor Bauer because I read that the Angels were looking for pitching. 
I was going to trade Trevor Bauer for Mike Trout, even up. <laughs> you did, you did say that. There's no question about it. Um, when you got done laughing, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I'd do that if that's available. I'd do it. Yeah, I'd do that. Um, you know, with Trevor Bauer, I would have traded him too at the trade deadline if I could have gotten something for him, like something that really helps the Reds pass this year. Because Andrew, you're right. If if there's anybody, on, I mean, who who's uh, eligible to be re-signed. Really, the only other one that I think is probably in the neighborhood that you would think about is going to be Anthony DiScalfani. Um, no other, unless I'm forgetting someone off the top of my head here, no other red is going to be a free agent, free agent of the year that we really care if they walk. I just think Bauer's going to be really hard to re-sign. He's been saying it forever. That he just wants to sign one-year deals. Now, that doesn't mean he can't sign a one-year deal with Cincinnati. But uh, it's you're taking a chance. And so... Um, whether you're trading for Mike Trout or somebody else, if there were something available that helped the Reds pass this year, I would have considered it. But but I think the Reds probably didn't consider it because of the same reason you were talking about earlier. Is they've gone gone kind of quote unquote all in here, and they spent all this money for them, and so they're not going to trade away. Like like you said, they're not going to be sellers. Um, let's ask a question from our friend Rich Thompson here. Rich Thompson, this is one of uh, at least three Joey Votto questions since your article uh talking to me since your article came out about joey Votto, he was a big portion of my article in the magazine last week uh, go read all my stuff at cincinnati magazine because if it gets lots of clicks it seems like it makes them happy i don't know um they don't it's pay all good stuff it is they don't pay me more it's not good stuff no uh but it's it's uh, it's adequate the adequacy is there every week Rich asks, since that article came out uh, talking about Joey Votto. Wait a minute. Is that really a word? Adequacity? No, that's a callback to this old uh, program called News Radio, where Phil Hartman, again, rest in peace. I remember that show. I didn't like it, but I remember it. Oh, my gosh. Five funniest sitcoms in the history of the medium. But. uh, Again, you're always so wrong. And a review came out in a local magazine about the the radio station there, and they called Bill, uh, Bill McNeil was his name. Phil Hartman's character. They called him adequate. And so he went around for the whole episode pretending like adequate was a huge compliment. So, um, Rich asks, since your article came out about Joey Votto, I've been reflecting on his career. And from those deliberations, I've come up with the following questions. So I'll give them to you. Uh, we'll answer the first one before we go to the second one. Number one, where does Joey Votto rank as an all-time Reds first baseman? You want to answer that one? He's the best. Number one. Yep. Not even close. Well, it's close. I mean, you know, Todd Benzinger's close, right? I was uh, I was thinking uh, Darren Johnson. <laughs> Darren Johnson. Scott Hatterberg. No, he's he uh, Rich. He, in my opinion, and Bill's evidently as well. It's clear, best first baseman in the history of this franchise. Second question. So that was an easy one. Second question. Since the nineteen nineties. The Reds have gotten some excellent production at first base with the likes of Casey and Votto. But in your opinions, which MLB team do you feel has had the best core of players at that position over the last 30 years? Man, that's a that's a hard one, Rich. The best first baseman? You know, probably uh, you got to think about teams like the Cardinals, who have uh, Goldschmidt now. Had a guy named Albert Pujols before that. Um, but that's, a, that's, that's really a tough one. But I'm going to reframe that a little bit for you, Bill. Okay. Which position? Which position? You know, sometimes you hear like uh, 
the University of Oklahoma is, you know, I don't, I'm not a big college football guy. Was this? Maybe Penn State is tailback university, and one team is linebacker university. You know how they do that? Purdue, Purdue used to be quarterbacks. There you go, Purdue quarterback university. Um, the University of Virginia, third team right guard university. <laughs> Which position on the Reds is the position where they could best stake the claim to being, you know, the the franchise, the best franchise at that position over the history of of all teams? You know, does that question make sense? Yeah, I know what you're asking. I want to say shortstop. It'd be hard to go against catcher when you've had the be- when you had the best catcher of all time. Plus, you know, Ernie Lombardi, Ernie Lombardi, um, Kirk Casale, Bo Diaz, <laughs> Alex Trevino, um, uh, Benito Santiago. Benito Santiago. I mean, you, right? You're right. It's uh, that's where you first go to is catcher because you had the best catcher. My all. first thought would be corner outfield. Corner outfield. Any particular you had, corner? You had, you, had, you had Pete Rose. You had Eric Davis. You're playing part. He played center field most of the time at the Reds, but he did play corner outfield. You had Reggie Sanders. You had Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson. He was a pretty good player. Veda, Veda Pinson played center field. Uh, but what about shortstop? I mean, the Reds had an all-star shortstop for like five generations. You're right. You're absolutely – that went over my head, and you're right. Up until – um, well, Felipe, retired. Yeah, well, Felipe Lopez made All-Stars after that, even though he wasn't a great one, but he did make an All-Star team. But, yeah, you had Larkin for years. Before that, you had Dave Concepcion for years. Before that, you had Leo Cardenas for years. Leo Cardenas. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good run. So that's something we may need to explore probably more. About, you probably had three regular everyday shortstops from, what, about 65 to when did Larkin retire? Kind of like early 2000s. Yeah. So for so it's like forty years, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's really amazing. Yeah, I think I think you I think you hit it. I think it's shortstop. Yeah. Plus, I mean, let's not forget we had Paul Yanish. Good defensive shortstop. Soft J. Joey Gaditza. I may butch that again, but I'm trying, Joey. I promise you, I'm trying, my buddy. Joey asks, "Hey Chad, hey Bill, who are your all-time favorite players to play for the Cincinnati Reds?" All-time favorite players. This is a question that has meant a lot to me since I was nine years old. I always wanted to talk about my. He's my all-time favorite. Okay, let's let's pick five. Five. Okay. Let's do that. Let's, let's start. You pick one. I'll pick one. Uh, Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. All right. You got Morgan. Uh, I've got really two guys at the top. I think probably my number one all-time favorite is uh, is Barry Larkin. I just he's the, he's the one guy that I got to watch his entire career with the Reds and he was a Hall of Famer and oh and he was good. So Barry Larkin, who you got? Who else you got? Bench. Johnny Bench. My next one, no one here will be surprised. The Dunner. Double fist and Bud Lights now because he's so excited about being picked as one of my favorite players. Adam Dunn. So we're not we're not allowed to you pick off the other guys to Sure, why not? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's talk about our our five. Okay. Um Dunn would be in my five. Okay, so I'm giving you Dunn then. You want to pick another one? Go ahead. Go okay, ahead. my next one is going to be my first favorite player. Wayne Krenchicki. Really, Bill? Really, did you have to go there? I'm sorry. Mario Soto. Oh. Mario Soto, underrated red. Mm-hmm, absolutely. 
All right, who you got? Uh, Peter Edward Rose. Pete Rose. To watch him play. And like you got cheated. Yeah. My next one is. I'm going to go with Tom Browning. My man TB. There was a while there where I really loved me some Tom Browning. All right. And you're number five. Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce. Ah, interesting. So you got three big red machine guys, Joe Morgan, Johnny Mitch, P. Rose, uh, then Jay Bruce and, and Adam Dunn. Spanning the I, generations. I really enjoyed watching Jay Bruce play for the Reds. I did too. I think at some point, in some in, uh, respects, Jay Bruce is going to end up being an underrated player because he was never the you know superstar that everybody expected when he was the number one player in the in the Reds minor league system, number one player in baseball in the minor leagues, number one prospect. But man, he's had a good career still. Every once in a while, I'll get a I'll get a notification on my phone. That he's hit another home run, you know. I just uh, love Jay Bruce. So my, I'm going to cheat for my final one here, Bill, because I'm going to I'm going to have a tie. Okay. And my tie is going to be Eric Davis and Ooh. Chris Sabo. Eric Davis very easily could have made my list. Yeah, boy, what a great what a great player. Just uh, maybe as talented a player as I've ever seen for any team. Jay Bruce's career OPS plus is 109. Yeah, listen, that's a great career for how many years? Uh, Thirteen. Yeah, so I mean that's a that's a solid career. So Chris Sabo and Eric Davis for me, Sabo just you know I was in high school and he was, you know Spuds McKenzie and I don't know. I, like I agree with you about Davis. I'm I'm not sure I ever saw a player with more talent. If if he could have stayed healthy, there's nothing that he couldn't have achieved. Yeah, you know I mentioned my dumb book earlier, um, by which I mean the parts that I wrote are dumb. The parts that Chris Garber wrote are fantastic. <laughs> so go buy it. But uh, we did a we did a. a chapter on, on Eric Davis and in trying to decide how we were going to frame that we, we framed it with his 1987 season which was just unbelievable and as we started doing research we kept coming up with quotes from everybody about uh, just that he was considered to be just kind of this preternatural talent just an absolutely otherworldly talent and you know they were calling him the, the, the next Willie Mays at the time and Willie Mays was like, "Listen, some someday you may you may want to comp- compare me to Eric Davis." Willie Mays was saying this, and it was the injuries. It was just the injuries because, but but that guy was just. I gained so much more respect from going back and and reading that, or in research. You say you used the '86 season? Is that '87? Oh, the '87 because the '86 season wasn't bad either. Right, '87 is the one where he had 80, eighty stolen bases, right? '86, uh, he had twenty-seven home runs, eighty stolen bases, and then in '87. Yeah, he he only stole fifty bases, but he hit thirty seven home runs. Right, he got hurt at the end of the year. He was he was gonna he was absolutely gonna be the MVP when he got hurt. Um, got hurt running into a wall. I mean, that guy did he played hard. I hate that he's not a Hall of Famer, and so that means that most people don't, many people at least don't know the story of Eric Davis, except well, for the. The year before, when he had stole eighty bases and hit twenty-seven home runs, he actually played almost—he had almost a hundred less plate appearances than he did in eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah, and th- and that was how old was he that year? Twenty-four. Right. So you can see why everybody was saying this guy's a Hall of Famer if he stays healthy. And and you got his numbers pulled up there, Bill. Go go to the end of his career when you know he was still hitting at the very end of his career, even though he was you know aging and he came back from the cancer. And oh man, the last year that he played. Over 100 games, 
let's say the last year that he had over 500 plate appearances, he was 36 playing in Baltimore. His OPS plus was 151. Yeah, just a player. Now, just and, a player. And, and, third, and, 90, and this was in 98. 99, he was with the Cardinals, but he only got he got 223 plate appearances. 92 OPS plus. The following year at 38, again in St. Louis, got about 300 plate appearances, 106 OPS plus. And he had a bad, you know, he had his final year when he was with the Giants, and he wasn't very good that year, but. Uh, up until this final year, he had a bad year in Detroit in '94, but he didn't play. He only had 138 plate appearances. Uh, his lowest OPS plus was 85. The year he was with the Dodgers in '92. I mean, his his OPS plus with the Reds in the nine years he played with the Reds was 137. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they'll get it done. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. He sold 270 bases and was only caught 46 times. For you kiddos who are uh, fans of the podcast here and listening, and again, this is part of the lost generation that I'm always talking about who haven't seen a good Reds team hardly in their entire lifetime. You know, uh, Sidney Price and I had a good conversation a couple weeks ago about, about that fact. There are a lot of you that didn't. If you don't know about Eric Davis, you better ask somebody, as they say, or go buy the Big 50 and read the chapter. Eric Davis was great, so. He just he just edged out Chris Sable based on that conversation on my list. All right, Woo the Reds asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio. The second time we've mentioned Woo the Reds. Keep trying to get him to uh, ditch the pseudonym. He asks two questions. The first is, did Cl- Chad's clout score go up or down after his appearance on the hunt for Reds October? Two things to, I need to explain there. Number one, clout is something that shows how popular you are online, basically, but um, I appeared this past week on the Hunt for Reds October podcast, one of the other uh, Reds podcasts out there that I, when I mention it, I usually tell you that it's uh, not safe for work. Um, and so I was expecting the worst. And those guys were, uh, I don't know if they were well behaved because I was in the room or for some other reason, but I had a really fun conversation uh, with the guys on the Hunt, Coop and the other guys on the Hunt for Reds October podcast. Um, so go find that podcast and listen to it if you want. Uh, you probably get enough of me here, but if you want to hear a little bit more of me or any of their other episodes, go listen to it. It was good. So my clout score went down, but the Hunt for Reds October podcast score went up. Wu's other question was this. How likely will it be that Joey Votto finishes out his contract? I've always thought that if he isn't able to keep his play at a certain level, that he would retire rather than just play it out. What do you think about that, Bill? Well, he said, Joey has said that. Um, he said that, but it's easy to say it. Yes. Are you, you going to leave that money on the table? To walk away from the money. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't walk away from the money. When does his contract run through? I can't. I... 2047. 2047. I don't think so. No, I don't either. I, I'm not sure exactly right. No, it looks like looking at it looks like two twenty two thousand twenty four. I love Joey, but he's not going to be good until two thousand twenty four. But you know, it, it, the next three years he's supposed to make twenty million, and then he's got a twenty million dollar team option in twenty twenty four with a seven million dollar buyout. So if he let's say he decides at the end of this season that he's going to pull the plug. 
he would be walking away from $82 million. <laughs> And Votto's got a lot of money. He's not going to have to do anything the rest of his life. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can go live in Venice and uh, and just finish out his days drinking wine and, and eating pasta. But that's a lot of money to leave on the table. That's a lot of cabbage. Yeah, and, he, and he's not going to leave at the end of this season. But uh, to answer Wu's question, I think that it's... I would, you know, I'd say it's 50-50. But I think there's at least a 50% chance that he walks away, that he does forfeit that money because he doesn't want to embarrass himself because he's so kind of tuned in to what he's doing. And he gets so within his, within himself, so down on himself when he doesn't perform the way he thinks he should perform. And I do think he'll walk away. That won't be this year. And it shouldn't be this year. But... I think at some point, I don't think it's likely that he finishes out his contract. I think he does leave some of that on the table. Okay, let me let me let, let me ask you. Uh, let, let me adjust this question a little bit. July fourth, twenty twenty one, is Joey Votto the starting sec- first baseman of the Cincinnati Reds? Yes. Twenty twenty two. No. Okay. He got benched this past week, and then came back <laughs> better than ever. So maybe that maybe that helped him. Um, so you're saying sometime towards the end of next year, the beginning of the following year, Joey will lose his position. Yes, but I expect there to be a designated hitter full time in the National League at that point, and so he'll transition to being a, a DH. You know, so you still think he'll get regular playing time? Though. I think he'll be in the lineup regularly. I don't think he'll be the first baseman regularly, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope he has a resurgence. Well, I hope he does too, but uh, we've been saying that for yeah. two years now. And he's looked good this week, but it's a week. I don't know. I just bless yeah. his heart. I love Joey Votto. I don't. I, it hurts my soul to criticize this guy. I love him. Of course, a week is a week. This season counts for what a month? <laughs> yeah, I think you're, that's a good point. Like that, I yeah. So I need, I need Chris Garber to do the math. Yeah, do the math. Get back to us, Chris. All right, let's run through the list of the last questions. Uh, one comes from Joe Farsing, and I'm a little disappointed that Joe. Uh, didn't have the first question this week. He got in a little late. He, he must have been working. List today. What was up with Joe? Joe uh, has a job, I know, and it's a very unique job. And you can find out what that job is if you join us at patreon.com slash radio because he talks about it on our Slack channel sometimes. It's a very unique job. His question is this. Does your baloney have a first name? And if so, what is it? It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney. My baloney has a last name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. I haven't had baloney in... I couldn't tell you. I was nine when the last time I had bologna. Actually, I probably it's probably been since then because I remember having fried bologna somewhere. Um, you, and there's usually a lot of bologna around here. <laughs> Plenty of it on this podcast. Three hundred forty <laughs> episodes worth. Uh, and for those of you kids out there, you that don't understand, that's a famous Oscar Mayer bologna commercial. My bologna has a first name. It's O S C A R. I just sang on the podcast, Bill. Yes, you did. Don't ever do that. <laughs> All right. Joe had a second question that I'm going to run through because I'm going to guess you don't have an answer to this, Bill. You may you may surprise me, but I'm guessing. This would be a good question, actually, for Chris Garber. He's a big Simpsons fan in the, in the crowd, although I feel like I'm pretty close. His question is, who's your favorite Simpsons one-off character? And if it's anyone other than Hank Scorpio, you're wrong. Bill, was I wrong to suspect that you don't have a favorite Simpsons one-off I- character? I don't even know what a one-off character is. It's a character who appears in one episode. A one not, episode? Not a regular I, character. I'm not going to say I've never seen The Simpsons, but 
I'm not an aficionado. I'm going to cheat and say King Griffey Jr. is my favorite one-off character because he was in the episode we talked about last week, Homer at the Bat. But to, the, the question that was asked by, I'm going to do this really quickly. Lyle Landley is one. He's the monorail salesman. Uh, Sherry Bobbins, who was the uh, Mary Poppins fraud from the episode Simpsons Califragilistic Expiala Annoyed Grunt Ocious. Um, Frank Grimes, Grimey. I love Frank Grimes, although his son came back in a later episode. Uh, he was Homer's nemesis, even though Homer didn't realize it. Um, let's see. Uh, I had a list here. I want to say Leon Kompowski, who is actually better known as Michael Jackson, the king of pop. Did you look these up somewhere, or did these come to you in your brain? I've got a, Well, some of them came to me, me in my brain, but uh, I did look them up. I've got a list here. So, but number one, I hate to admit that Joe Farson was right. Was Hank Scorpio the supervillain who offered a job to to Homer Simpson, uh, played by Albert Brooks, Hank Scorpio, and uh, he was like kind of a a super uh, James Bond esque supervillain, but he was really really nice. So uh, anyway, great character, Hank Scorpio. Yes, I'm sorry, Joe Farson is correct. Last question. He got it in just under the wire. This one just came in. I said to get it in earlier, Risto, and you're not following my directions, but I'm still going to get you to your question. Risto Neely, due to the lack of home run production this season, do you think it's time to shift the mindset of hitting the hitting uh, the mindset of hitting to small ball instead of the Reds leaving on the home run, which has not proved effective so far? What do you think, uh, Bill? Should we go back? To, should the Reds go back to small ball? I am. I'm a big proponent of putting the bat on the ball. And I think that's how you defeat the shift. I think that, you know, now I, I would argue, my, my guess is somebody that knows a lot more about pitching and hitting than I do, like Chris Welsh, would say it's easier said than done when guys are bringing it up there at 100 miles, and every guy in baseball is bringing it 100 miles an hour these days. Um, but it seems to me like there there are ways to bring offense back into the game short of hitting it over the fence. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I presume that the data shows that, you know, home run or nothing here on home run derby is the way to score the most runs in the current game. Yeah, but how do, you, how do you get data when nobody's doing it another way? Well, because everybody's done it another way for a thousand years. You know, I mean, we got a full history of baseball of doing it the other way. But the game is always changing. You know what I mean? It is, and maybe at some point it'll come back. I hope it comes back, not necessarily to small ball, because that to me that means bunts, and bunts are the worst. I, I yeah, you're right, and you and you and I have talked about this. That, that at least I struggle at times to watch baseball these days. I love baseball. I do. I do too. But sometimes it's not fun to watch. No, it's not. It, it can be a drudge. Home run, strikeout. You know, I mean, I understand it, and I like home runs, but listen. Singles and doubles and stolen bases are, are fun. Putting the ball in play. It's much more interesting than strikeout, walk, home run. Strikeout, walk, home run. Strikeout, walk, home run. Bases. I miss stolen bases. Yeah. And some of this is us being old guys, maybe. Yeah, uh, oh, I, I, I readily admit that that's part of it. Um, but, I, you know, and I've said this a gazillion times on here. I think there's a factor, and, and I remember, and, I, and I'm going to go back to Joe Morgan again, when, you know, he would – Get out there at Riverfront Stadium. You get that one foot on the carpet. And he'd make that pitcher go over there four, five, six times. 
And you just can't convince me that that doesn't have an effect on what he's doing going to the plate. And we don't see that anymore. And, and I think it's another way that you can affect the game that might not necessarily show up anywhere in the stats. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I just I don't either. I, I you know, people I don't, that are smarter than I am are, are doing it a different way, but I, I sure miss it. I know I sound like an old guy when I say that, oh, it's not as fun, fun to watch as it used to be. But I don't want to go back necessarily to the way that baseball was when I was, you know, 15 years old. Everybody always says that the music you listen to when you're in college or the music you listen to when you're in high school, that's the music you always listen to. And and the way you like the, the, the game of baseball, supposedly, is the way you want it to be when you grow up. But I don't necessarily want that. I just I want the ball to be put in play more because that's just more aesthetically pleasing. It's more enjoyable to watch things happen rather than just pitch, swing and a miss, pitch, swing and a miss, pitch. Home run, pitch, ball. Pitch. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. Just put it in play. Is is I, I'm. We we talk a lot about baseball every single week, and so clearly we love baseball. But I I don't think it's the best it's ever been. I guess is what I'll say. I don't. No, you know, I don't, and I don't want it to become like. And, and we talked about this in in building the the, uh, the machine, like it was in '68. You know, where the pitchers dominated so completely that they lowered the mound to give the hitters a better, you know, more of an opportunity to hit. I don't want that either. I just want some equal part of enjoy, you know, of, of action in baseball. Action. That's the word. You know, I just, I want something to happen. I think baseball is more fun when stuff is happening. So anyway, I love baseball, but it's not the best product right now. Uh, Risto's uh, final question was, who is the female voice that introduces the podcast? And uh, the answer there is, amazingly, it's Melissa McCarthy. Bill, any uh, any final thoughts for this episode of Red Leg Nation Radio? One more thing on Tom Seaver before we go away. Yes, please. We talked about Tom was 75 and 46 with the Reds with a 3.18 ERA in 158 games. That's counting his final season in Cincinnati in 82 when he went 5-13 and 13 with a 550 ERA in 21 games. So if you, if you didn't, you know, if you, I know you can't pick and choose which years, but take that, that season out of his Cincinnati mix, and holy crap, he's got some numbers. <laughs> Not the 3.18 ERA is bad. It's, um, he threw 42 complete games for the Reds. Yeah. 12 shutouts. He was still an elite pitcher. Yes, absolutely. No question about it. So, absolutely. All right. Oh, well, rest in peace, Tom Seaver. All right. This is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 340 of the world's most dangerous podcast. We're back here with you every single week. Drop these episodes on Friday, free to the listening public. But you can join us at patreon.com slash redlegradio. If you want, just join the join the, join the the club where we talk about the Reds on Slack, and uh, we also do some other fun stuff. You can go to that uh, patreon.com slash radio and see what that's all about. We'd appreciate you helping helping keep this ship afloat. Uh, you know where to find us. We're on everywhere you can find podcasts. We're there. We're at redlegnation.com every single day. Where you can. Uh, we've been talking about the Reds back since the days that I was running the website day-to-day, back in 2005. All right, Bill. Appreciate you joining us, man. Always a good time talking to you, my friend. Always fun. For Bill Lack and Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.